Lady Bird hit theaters in 2017. Greta Gerwig's debut is 99% on Rotten Tomatoes and was a massive financial success. Let's break down this coming-of-age teen dramedy. Hello, movie friends. Welcome to Raiders of the Lost Podcast, the ultimate film and TV podcast. Today, we're discussing Greta Gerwig's directorial debut, Lady Bird, which was a fantastic movie. I had been a fan of hers as a writer. She was uh, she had written three films that Noah Baumbach directed, and I liked her in Greenberg, um, the other film he made. So I was a big fan of hers, and to see her come into her own as a filmmaker and make a movie like this for her debut, it was really impressive and just clearly became... A huge voice of her generation and it's a movie that you and I relate to a lot because we went to Catholic school too but it's funny it's heartfelt it's dramatic uh, dysfunctional families like it hits all the beats you want in a teen movie but it does it better than 99% of the other teen movies yeah this movie was awesome and she was basically like an indie darling in the 2010s writing and acting in a lot of movies she's terrific in Francis Ha she also has like small roles in the house of the devil which I love Ty West's horror film so she was doing a lot of on-screen stuff but then to get her behind the camera become an exciting new voice in cinema in Hollywood this movie was a smash hit at the box office it pulled 78 million dollars globally on a budget of just 10 million on IMDb it is at a 7.4 with 300,000 300,000 ratings Rotten Tomatoes it is 99% critic score and this actually temporarily was the the most well-reviewed movie on Rotten Tomatoes so It temporarily broke the record held by Toy Story 2 with 163 fresh reviews as the best-reviewed movie of all time in terms of how many fresh ratings with 196 fresh reviews. And then since recently, it did not make that 100 percentile, so it's not like the number one. Who gave it a rotten review? (laughs) 196 fresh reviews is absurd. Audience score is a 79%. It was nominated for five Academy Awards, including Best Picture, Best Directing for Greta Gerwig, Best Original Screenplay for Greta Gerwig, Best Performance by an Actress in a Leading Role for Saoirse Ronan, and then Supporting Role Actress for Laurie Metcalf, who plays her mother in the film. And I find this movie incredibly relatable and nostalgic, and I made my Letterboxd review. I gave it four and a half stars. We watched it the other night. And this is my review, which I would love to read. It also, yeah, it has a 3.9 rating on Letterboxd. Only 3.9? Yeah, wow, that's pretty higher. low. Yeah. 3.9 for Ladybird? How many reviews does it have? Oh, 140,000. Holy guacamole. Yeah. I did not see that coming. I thought it was, I think it's an exceptional movie. So my review for Ladybird. Ladybird is an absolutely delightful and highly relatable coming of age teen dramedy that hits me straight in the in the that hits me straight in the nostalgia. <laughs> Once bone. James starts reading. <laughs> First sentence is always tough for me. <laughs> That hits me straight in the nostalgia bone like nothing else. I also went to Catholic high school, also in the early 2000s, also trying to find my path in life. Watching this film is like hopping in a time machine for me. Surface themes of family, acceptance, and friendship cleverly mask the deeper themes of happiness versus success, the hierarchies of privilege, and even war. Greta Gerwig's directorial debut solidified her as one of the most exciting new voices behind the camera in Hollywood. Podcast review coming next week, if you saw that review last week. You also had an injury while being in high school. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, we didn't have an injury. In <laughs> you, I didn't jump out of a car, but yeah. I did have a, a knee brace for three months. Yeah, you dislocated it playing football. Yeah. And then you never played football again. <laughs> I was like, bro, I'm not going pro. I mean, what am I doing to my body here? We learned pretty early that we were going to be professional athletes. I think by age 14, I accepted it. It's always disappointing, isn't it? <laughs> for a while, you hold out hope, like maybe, even though you don't do any extra training, you just, <laughs> you just show up for tryouts and, and practice. <laughs> It'll happen one day. <laughs> Here's my my rating for Ladybird. I gave it a four and a half stars on Letterboxd. I wrote, when we're young, we want to fit in. We want to please our parents. We want to find love. We want to figure out our future, and we want to be seen. Ladybird is a wonderful depiction of the trials and tribulations of being a wayward teenager. This charming, heartfelt, and endlessly relatable coming-of-age tale served as a big coming-out for writer and director Greta Gerwig as a new voice for her generation. As someone who both went to Catholic high school and has a large dysfunctional family, I deeply <laughs> connect to the world and the characters of this tale and always find myself cracking up at the infectious comedy. I love this film! Exclamation point. Is it coming-out party? Yes, of course, for Greta Gerwig, but also Saoirse Ronan. This one put her, like, on the map, I think, globally. She was in a lot of stuff. She's been a in child America. actor. Yeah. yeah. But, like, for American audiences and global audiences, I mean, $80 million, people finally got that name recognition, I mean, first-name basis in households for film people now. Saoirse Ronan is a, is a huge star, Oscar nominee multiple times. Well, she got three nominations, four nominations. This was her third. So, I mean, this was huge for her. Timothy Chalamet, 2017, that guy had a massive year. Her second, I'm sorry. Second, second yeah. So No, third, because she was in Brooklyn before this. No, fourth, fifth, yeah. She was in Brooklyn. Brooklyn, Brooklyn came out first. Brooklyn was yeah. 2015. So Chalamet, 2017, he was in Hostels. He was in Lady Bird. He was also in Call Me Hostiles, By Your Name. Hostiles, yeah, that's yeah. right. He's the Call young, Me By Your Name. Yeah, he's the young soldier. With the thin mustache. Yeah, you're right. So he had a massive He's French. He plays a French. Yeah, yeah that's right. <laughs> Trying to finish the sentence over here. <laughs> this fucking guy. He Christian had... Bale. <laughs> <laughs> he had a massive 2017. So this is a huge movie for, you could say, the three of them, as well as Beanie Feldstein, who is Seth Rogen's, I mean, uh, <laughs> Jonah Hill's sister, who this is a big role for her. Now she's in a prominent, a bunch of prominent roles. She was just in, what was the uh, coming of age film that she did that was... Um, Oh, Booksmart. Books, Booksmart as yeah. well. So Booksmart. So big movie for a lot of actors and a lot of filmmakers in this with this just small picture with Lady Bird. Yeah, I had been following Saoirse for a while because she blew me away in an Atonement. And she was, she was incredible in that movie. But then in Hannah, I really loved Hannah. And um, How how I Live Now is a really good um, UK film as well that she was in. She was also in The Host which was supposed to be like the other... It was supposed to be like the next Twilight, but it didn't work out. The hoax? The host. Oh, the host. So she played a, a girl who an alien like came inside of her. <laughs> I mean... Whoa, say that again, Anthony. An, an, alien, <laughs> an alien like took her... A parasitic alien like takes control of her or something. And okay. it's like this... She's like... And I can't remember. Is it a young adult novel series? It was a young, young adult novel series. Very popular at the time, but... It was build. It was gonna be the next Twilight, but it bombed at the box office, like a bunch of those other YA novel movies. So she was still searching for that 
that big star making role. And I agree with you because even though she had built such an impressive career already in terms of household name, especially in America, she didn't really have that still. Cause she was, I mean, in a lot of movies that just, they didn't, didn't make a ton of money. So I think lady bird, um, I think I agree with you. It really catapulted her, even though she got the nomination for Brooklyn, Brooklyn made no money, hardly, hardly any money. So this was a big movie for her moving forward as a Hollywood star. And I think solidified her status as being an absolute A-lister on top of being a critical darling. Yeah, and Saoirse and Greta, they are kind of just magic. They're like a great duo, and they're probably going to work together in almost all of Greta's films. I'm not sure if she maybe has a cameo in Barbie. I bet she's, maybe she has a cameo. I bet she has yeah. a little cameo or yeah. something, but she's not listed on the cast list. But she's obviously all in Little Women as well. Now, Saoirse and Greta first met each other at the Toronto Film Festival back in 2015 when Greta was promoting Maggie's Plan, and then also Saoirse was promoting Brooklyn. Ronan had already read the script that Greta wrote and was instantly connected with the character, and they actually like hung out and inside one of their hotel rooms, Greta had Saoirse say some of the dialogue out loud and reenact some scenes, and she's like, I found my ladybird right here. And the story of Ladybird... Some people might think, is it true story? Is it based on Greta Gerwig's life? It's it's loosely based off her experiences somewhat and like where she grew up. Obviously, she grew up in Sacramento, just like Lady Bird. She named the title character Christine after her mother, Christine Gerwig. Lady Bird's mother, Marion, is also a nurse, just like Christine's mother in the film. Greta attended an all-girls Catholic high school, St. Francis High School in Sacramento. They're both theater nerds. Greta longed to escape Sacramento for New York City, for the arts, for culture, as <laughs> Lady Bird describes in the film. After unsuccessful, it's only thirty minutes away. <laughs> <Davis>. <laughs> when she gets to Davis, and it's less if you drive fast. <laughs> Love that. After unsuccessful auditions for acting programs at Juilliard and NYU, Greta found herself at Barnard, Barnard, one of the oldest women's colleges in the world. Our niece actually yep. goes to Barnard. And Lady Bird, as a character, is completely invented by Saoirse Ronan. Saoirse didn't, like, dye her hair, break her arm with a pink cast or anything like that. So she's actually the very opposite of what Greta Gerwig was like in Catholic High School, according to her. I was a real rule follower and a people pleaser and a gold star getter. Nothing in the movie literally happened in my life, but it has a core of truth that resonates with what I know. To prepare the cast and crew, Greta also gave them her high school yearbooks. Photos, journals, as well as passages written by Sacramento native Joan Didion, and she also took them for a tour of her hometown. And in terms of the name Lady Bird and that connection, at first Gerwig wasn't altogether sure where the name Lady Bird came from. And according to her, at first it was one of those things that's so mysterious about writing. But then after she wrote the script, she remembered a Mother Goose nursery rhyme Lady Bird, Lady Bird, fly away home, your house is on fire, and your children all gone. Gerwig. I can see your children are dead. <laughs> <laughs> According to Garwig, she speculated that that poem had lodged itself somewhere in her brain. It said um, she failed in, in NYU in, in Juilliard. Getting it's in. crazy. It's, a, it's interesting to see that. But also, this stems from the idea you hear everybody, you often hear the phrase, write what you know. And this is an example. Write what, of, oh, yeah, write, write what you know. Gotcha. This is an example of that. It doesn't have to be an autobiography, but... What does Greta Gerwig know? Um, she knows Sacramento. She knows musical theater, especially to be like being a theater kid. She knows the world, and then she crafted her story within that. So this is an example of writing what you know. It doesn't have to be about you, but you can take 
what you've seen in your life already from your experiences and draw from that and build a world within that. So this is a great example of that. Her other works as a writer are pretty similar in terms of um, Francis Ha, Mistress America. And as a, in, as a writer, you always put a little bit of you in everything. But I think this is an example of the reason why this movie works so well because it, w- it was so resonant to her experience as a, as a teenager and a child. And you could just feel um, feel that love and that, that truth there. And that's really where I think the strength of the film lies because we have... I mean, we we know several people that are from Sacktown, and I've met plenty of people at parties. And you know, sometimes um, when Sacramento comes up, you'll be like, "Oh, have you seen Lady Bird?" And they're like, "Yes." <laughs> the Sacramento people love Lady Bird, and it represents that that area really well. And all the famous landmarks, all the stores, all the things you do, um, and it, it it comes back to that drive that we see in the film. Um, first, uh, Christine. Christine's mom makes that drive like near the end of the second act and she's driving around she's driving home from work and she's just looking at how beautiful Sacramento is and even though you know life's not easy for her she she's just taking in Sacramento and it's something that Lady Bird never understood until at the end of the film when she leaves that voicemail and she says you know we weren't talking at this point but I drove home and I was driving through Sacramento I was taking those turns I know so well and passing by the storefronts that I love, I know so well. And then she, she realized she truly loves and adores Sacramento in this place. And it was, it's a great um, connection to her mother. And Greta did a phenomenal job. It's, it's one of my favorite aspects of the film of how Lady Bird doesn't realize how much she loves Sacramento until um, her journey into the city. Um, and I, I just really adore that aspect of the film. That's one of the reasons why it works so well. It's one of the great strengths of this really brilliant screenplay that's very layered. And I want to get into all these great themes that Greta's tackling, but just stay on this this love letter to Sacramento. And you don't have to be from Sacramento to connect with it because really it's a love letter to a home. What's it like to leave your home and and to basically, what does what does home mean? And what does it mean to tell that story of home from the perspective of someone who wants to leave. I mean, a lot of people have done this, leaving your home, but then you think back on it. We left our home years ago and often think back fondly of, of Massachusetts and, bon- <laughs> and Boston. Whenever I'm home, I'm taking those same drives. I'm like, oh, man, I missed this stuff. So you and don't have- five days later, like, oh, yeah, this is why I yeah. left. <laughs> but-, <laughs> but everyone, you don't have to be from Sacramento. You don't have to be from California to connect with the aspect of a love letter to a home with this script and this story. And one of my favorite aspects to the scri- to the screenwriting and the character development, uh, especially of Lady Bird, and I mean, I don't know if you've noticed this, but like the last several years, movie characters, especially teenagers, are written to be like so perfect, they're so smart, they're better than everyone and everything, um, they don't have any flaws, they have, they're smarter than adults, they basically tell adults what to, it's, it's becoming very repetitive and it's lacking any kind of depth or truth because when you're a teenager, you are the la- the last thing you are is like a fully ver- realized version of yourself. The last thing you are is the last thing you know is everything. And Lady Bird is extremely flawed. Um, she has actually a lot of bad qualities, although she does have a bunch of great qualities. But she is struggling to find herself, and she she makes a lot of mistakes. She lies to a lot of people, and she chooses. She actually she often is selfish. And it's the the journey of this story 
transforms her into the person she will end up becoming as an adult. Which I, and I like how Greta just cuts and we don't end up seeing who she becomes, but we, we understand that she's grown by the end of the film and is learning from her mistakes. And that's essentially what the phone call to her mother represents. But she, she struggles along the way and, and she makes so many bad choices. And it's, some, it's, it's something that I think really sets itself apart from what we're getting nowadays where teenagers are written to be so like perfect you know what i mean i think it's not so much written to be perfect but hollywood right now has an obsession with prodigy so every lead character of a lot of these shows they're hyper smart hyper intelligent hyper whatever and they're so like you said they're so set in their goals the smartest and what they person want. in school yeah, yeah so the thing with coming of age films we actually talked about this recently how that genre is kind of disappearing in a large way in terms of <laughs> What we were getting in the 90s and 2000s, this film is very much a callback to the great coming-of-age films we grew up with, like Stand By Me and stuff like that. And so that's kind of gone because now a coming-of-age movie or show or TV series, everyone's, like you said, perfect, super intelligent, top of their class, like ultra figured out everything they want to yeah. do in life. And they're better prepared for life they than their teachers. They don't. They never make mistakes or and, bad yeah, choices. And no one's like that at that age. Very few precocious people, sure. But in terms of the confidence... But of, even being like that, characters. They're adults yeah. as teenagers yeah. in these characters. And yes. what I love about Lady Bird, specifically with not just Christine Lady Bird and how flawed and ordinary she is in, in, in terms of like what makes her unique. She's great. She's highly creative, highly confident, blunt... <laughs> So many great characteristics as well as negative characteristics, but everyone in this film's ordinary. Nobody's perfect. Even like who they call the perfect girl, Jenna, she's not perfect at all. She like has just the most wealth and has the most privilege and maybe the prettiest girl at school, but she still is like you wouldn't want to not a lot of people want to be that character, but you know someone like that. Someone very full of themselves in a lot of ways. And even even Kyle played by Chalamet, very good-looking guy he's like uh doesn't care about anything but like he's just like an asshole at the same time so they're realistic characters because nobody's perfect and all we get are perfect characters and so many of these tv shows and movies and everyone's ordinary everybody's flawed in this film even i think great themes that greta's tackling with the script of not just happiness for success but even tackling depression the priest do you think of course the priest of the high school and the and the teacher he has everything figured out but even he needs help he's having issues with clinical depression i mean there's just little hints of that uh spread into the script by greta gerwig where nobody's perfect even somebody who gives advice for a living and spiritually guides people for his entire life someone like that they need help as well. They're flawed. So I think that's one of the brilliant parts of the script is everybody's flawed. And when you're a teenager, you make mistakes over and over again. You make bad choices over and over again. That's where, And this is what forms you as an adult. You know, the, the problems you cause in your life or <clears throat> uh, bad qualities you might grow out of as learning experiences. In, in Lady Bird has a lot of these, which is why I find it so relatable where she's doing things that, you know, aren't the right thing to do, but she thinks it'll benefit her. And in a lot of ways in the first two hours of the film, she's a, a quite selfish person. And then she grows out of that. But like just some of her selfish choices, you know, she's mad about not getting a good part in the play. And she's failing to even recognize that Jewel, Jewel's got a great part as the lead. And won't even like congratulate her because all she's thinking about is herself. You know what I mean? 
And then when she's kind of like got this business deal with her dad, the secret business deal about uh, the, the applications to the wait lists for the other colleges. And there's a great little moment in the car. And first of all, she doesn't want him to drop her off at school because she feels embarrassed. She prefers to get dropped off a couple blocks by school so she can walk, lying, saying that she likes to walk. And then also, before she leaves the car, he says, I love you. And she says, so what about college? It's kind of like transactional for her. And he's just trying to be a, a parent to her. She does say I love you, but after he confirms what she wants. After, yeah, yeah. after. And then uh, she wants to go. I mean, one of the most selfish things about her is she wants to escape. She wants to be as far away from her family as possible. There's that really hilarious line about when she got into Davis. She's like, it's only 30 minutes away, <laughs> even less if you drive fast. So she doesn't really care so much about which college she gets into so far as where it's located and how far away from here it is. She's failing to see like the really important things in her life. She steals the teacher's grade book because she knows she's doing terribly in that class. And so... She takes the entire grade book, messing up the entire year's work, year of work for that teacher so that she can get a B. And she selfishly kind of coerces her teacher into getting a B. There's a great line there where she throws away the math textbook in his, his binder. And like you said, everyone has to come to the honor system to say their grade. Her friend Julie's like, it was an A minus. He's like, you sure? I thought it was an A. I know tell what I said. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then Ladybird's like, it was a B. And he's like, really? I thought it was more of a B minus C plus. And she's like, no, it was a B. I did good the last quiz. And he's like, all right, it's your honor. That's a great little line that Greta wrote that just signifies of her mm-hmm. Not being true to herself, exactly. Not being true to her honor, lying to get things that she wants. Yeah, and she's also she's always thinking about what she can get in, in herself. Hence the selfish nature of the character. Uh, she wants to spend Thanksgiving with Danny's family as opposed to her family. Even though in the and Christine, I mean, um, her mom. I'm sorry, I keep forgetting. Marion has a great line of like, "It's sad that you want to spend Thanksgiving with the people you've never met before, as opposed to your own family." Um, and then I think the most, probably the one of the most difficult choices to see Labor make is when she basically ostracizes Julie, Julie from her life to pursue Jenna and Kyle and the, and the cool kids and basically eliminates Julie as a friend of hers and completely changes her morals to act cool, to look cool, to be, um, one of them completely um, distancing herself from who she really is out of her own, what she can get out of the situation. She wants to be with Kyle. She wants to be a cool kid. She wants to be one of those. Um, And so she's willing to sacrifice the important things in her life and the most important relationship, uh, the most important friendship of her life with Jules in order to get that. So uh, she's often pushing people away and acting out of her own desires as opposed to thinking about anyone else in her life she's hilariously erratic Mm -hmm. i mean the opening scene of jumping out of a car and breaking her arm that is such an erratic decision but it all stems to her relationship with her mother her and her mother are the core emotional is the core emotional battleground of lady bird's life from her perspective for both of them for marion and christine and they're so similar and so much alike that lady bird doesn't realize they are her mother was probably exactly like her when she was young. And, you know, there's that line where her mother's mad at her for her clothes being dirty and unfolded and just a mess. And 
Ladybird's like, didn't you ever not put your clothes away once in your entire life and not have everything look amazing? And Marion says, I, my mother was uh, an abusive alcoholic. So that's the only nugget of information we get about Marion in her past, really. But her and Ladybird are so similar, and it's hinted at and revealed multiple times throughout the film. You know, I think the line where her father says to Ladybird, like, you and your mother have very loud personalities because that's why they butt heads so much is they're so alike and they have bold personalities. They're, they're very loud people about what they want and what they expect of others. That's why they can't really get along at this point in their lives. Very combative. Also, the fact that Lady Bird wants to be good at math, but she's terrible at math, but her father's excellent at math. And that shows you that she's more like her mother than her father, for sure, because she's bad at math. So I think that's exactly another hint at why they're so similar. And they just constantly bicker and fight. And, and Marion just wants what's best for Ladybird, but she's also afraid of her baby, you know, leaving the nest and doesn't want her to be too far away. And everything she does is for Ladybird. And she loves her very much. The little things that she does that Ladybird might not notice because maybe she's asleep in bed, you know, when she makes the dress, fixes up the dress and resizes it for her. And the thing with, with Marion is her biggest obsession and her biggest insecurity in life and with the family is is money and trying to equate happiness with success and, and trying to have enough. And she always brings up the rich people. We're not rich like those other people, the rich people you go to school with. So money is a source of massive insecurity for the family. And I think what Greta does really well with the script with this theme of happiness for success of money and then with the backdrop of the Afghan war on television is she shows what I will describe as hierarchies of privilege where Marion wants more money for her family and Lady Bird wants to be like Jenna. She wants to live in that perfect blue house. She wants the perfect life. She wants more things. She's sick of being broke. She's sick of having no money and that's why she gets dropped off far away. She doesn't want to see that the kind of car that her family has. And that's why her mother makes sure she wants her to fold her clothes because she doesn't want to look like their filth in that metaphor that that uh, Danny thinks is a joke about living on the other side of the train tracks. He doesn't realize that there actually are train tracks that separate separate different classes of, of people who live in Sacramento and the privileges of the hierarchies of privilege where everyone in this film, they are all very privileged. And I think Greta shows the, the the TV programming and news of the war in Afghanistan to show how privileged everyone in this film is, despite maybe Lady Bird not seeing how privileged she is. And even though she wants to be at a higher level of privilege like Jenna and these other kids and Danny and, and even Kyle to an extent, she still has a very lucky and fortunate life that she eventually will appreciate later on because she's not living in a country that's being ravaged by war and i think that's why in addition to setting the time period of the early 2000s of you know not post 9 11 2002 2003 the invasion of afghanistan of afghanistan eventually iraq in 2004-2005 i think that's a i think she's purposely having these nuggets of ladybird watching tv for a couple of seconds here and there of the news coverage of the war to show different hierarchies of privilege yeah absolutely and <clears throat> It was such a, a part of growing up in that era, just having that in the background of our culture. And in a lot of ways, Marion put that obsession with appearance and that obsession with status into Lady Bird's personality because of her obsession with it. Um, but also, between them, 
the some of the best scenes are between Marion and Lady Bird and the conversations they have, the debates they have, the fights they have, um, the love that they share. But the the dialogue is so well written where one second they're fighting, the next sec the next second they're ogling a dress. You know what I mean? Like they're fight they're bickering in the in the thrift store. And it seems like they're just they're just flashing out at each other and they're fighting. And then Mary pulls out the perfect dress and like, oh, it's perfect. Don't you love it? <laughs> and and uh, obviously the opening of the film where they bond over the grapes of wrath and then they share a great moment and then it turns into a big fight. And then also, I think one of the best scenes is Lady Bird trying on dresses for prom. And then she steps out in the dress, and she's she thinks it's perfect. And then Marion says, "Is it too pink?" And then Lady Bird just just completely defeated walks into back into the dressing room, closes the door, and that turns into like a really awkward, difficult um, conversation where Lady Bird just says, "I just want you to like me." And then Marion says, "Of course I love you," and that's not the problem. Lady Bird says, I don't want you to just love me. I just want you to like me. Why can't you like me? And that's really, uh, it's a tragic moment where she wants to be accepted by her mother um, for who she is. Because she also says, I just, Marion says, I just want you to be the best version of you. And then Lady Bird says, what, is, what if this is the best version of me? Is it, why isn't, is this not good enough for, for you, essentially? So it's difficult. Marion doesn't say anything. Yeah, She's like, yeah. oh, really? Yeah. And so it's this difficult thing where, in a way, Lady Bird has been put up. There's Marion's put up this huge pedestal of expectations for Lady Bird. And Lady Bird feels like she can never live up to what Marion expects of her and wants from her. And so she constantly feels like she's in the shadow of this monument that she can never become. And who she is isn't good enough in her mother's eyes. And that's what's really depressing about it and really a, a major um, contention between them and why La Lady Bird is constantly trying to get away because she's trying to escape this lack of approval and this lack of acceptance. Because even if kids uh, or teens, even if they're fighting with their parents and like they might like, I hate my parents, and ultimately what they want more than anything is the approval of their parents deep down and for their parents to accept them and for their friends to accept them. So I think this is like one of the inner um, turmoils that Lady Bird's constantly facing is this this fact that her mother doesn't accept her. And the thing with, with Marion is she's such a sweet woman and she's so wonderful. And, you know, she takes in Shelly and Shelly has that conversation with Miguel's boyfriend with uh, Lady Bird where... She says, I admire your mother. She took me in when, you know, my parents wouldn't accept me. And so I, I think she's an incredible person and she loves you a lot. And every time Lady Bird talks about her mother to somebody else, she brings up the things that other people say about her, which is interesting. You know, she says the things that Shelly said about her to somebody else. She's got a big heart. She she's defends her. Yeah, she always, but she yeah. always says the things that other people say about her mom to her mm -hmm. so that she gets her opinions of her mother basically when she's not with her mother from other people. And yeah, it does defend her. But pretty much every scene of Lady Bird with her mother, no matter if it starts off positively or negatively, involves Marion being critical of Lady Bird with whatever she's doing or whatever the conversation's about. And this extends to the entire film. And you would think that Marion would kind of lay off her. And that goes to you saying that, you know, Lady Bird just wants to be accepted by her mother, not be criticized constantly with everything she does. 
whatever situation she's in, constantly, whatever it is, her mom's always saying a small detail about it. Dragging even, your feet. Even yeah, yeah, even the graduation, the graduation dinner. She can't even go up and accept her diploma without her mother afterwards saying, oh, I'm so happy for you, but you walked weird. You were like, you're, you walked odd up there. So everything she's do, she does, her mother criticizes, and that's kind of the perspective of a teen if you're fighting with your parents is they're criticizing you because they love you and they want what's best for you and they want you to be the best version of yourself. But they really fail to recognize that they just want you to accept them for who they are. Well, there's there's this thing, there's a line in Marion being critical of Lady Bird often. She's trying to help Lady Bird improve herself. But there is a line where it becomes overbearing and it becomes too much and it becomes a negative thing where eventually I think sometimes a parent can put their own shit on their kids. You know what I mean? Their own negative feelings and their own anger. And just really just like constantly be on top of their kid's ass. You know what I mean? And that's, I think, what Marion falls into. And that's her flaw where she's too overbearing and too critical to the point where Lady Bird can't even breathe. She can't even walk down the street. with that. She can't even walk without being criticized by her mother about how she walks. And it becomes a way where that, that forms within Marion because she is so obsessed with Lady Bird finding success and being successful that... She thinks that there's like a perfect version of Ladybird, and she's trying to like chip away at, at Ladybird to try and make that version of Ladybird where she'll find success and rich people will accept her and things will work out for her. But right now, this version of her daughter is not going to work. So you, she's like trying to like create this version of her daughter that will be the ultimate version of her. And in a way, that's a huge flaw because there is no perfect version of a person. There's no perfect version of Ladybird. There's just Ladybird. And I think that what's important is parents, obviously, they have to prepare their kids for the world. They have to prepare their kids for adulthood. But you still have to let your kids learn things on their own and figure things out on their own. And Ladybird absolutely does learn so much from her mistakes in this film. But often, I mean, it's hard for her to really be herself around her mother because her mother just doesn't stop berating her and her mother won't accept who she is. So I think that's a, it's like um imposter syndrome and also a problem with uh, not under, not having an individuality and not understanding who you are. And that's why she's going by a new name. It's like Christine isn't good enough so I'm creating Ladybird like an alternate persona, and I'm latching onto that as a way of escaping my mom's expectations for Christine. And it takes a while for Marion to even start calling her Ladybird. She still calls her Christine until the end of the film, really, when she, when Ladybird reads those letters and they're addressed to Ladybird. They're not addressed to Christine. There's a couple addressed to Christine. Are there a couple? Yeah. But that's a really sweet moment. But how about we head to our intermission, and then we'll come back because there's still a lot to talk about with. We didn't even talk about Chalamet. Lady Bird. We didn't talk about a ton. There's yeah. still so much to the get deuce. into. The deuce. The deuce. Let's deuce it up. <laughs> this movie's really terrific. But before we continue, the very best way to support Raiders of the Lost Podcast is by leaving us those five-star reviews on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. The cool thing with Apple Podcasts is you can also leave a written review, and we love to read them on the show. We do one every intermission. We'll be doing one in a minute or two. And also... The other best way to support the show is to become a patron today at patreon.com slash Raiders of the Lost Podcast. It's the ultimate way to support us and financially make sure that the show can keep going on 
Forever. We have five forever. different tiers. Forever. 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 <laughs> we have five tiers of membership in our Patreon program, and they all come with awesome perks. $2, $5, $10, $25, and $100. Every single tier, no matter if it's 2 or 100 gets access to our weekly chat, which is every Wednesday exclusively on Patreon now, as well as an extra weekly bonus episode. You all get access to it no matter what tier you're in. Each tier also comes with awesome perks and, and merchandise as well. The $10 tier gets you access to our Discord where we have watch parties and chat with you all day. It's we just fun. did a Spider-Man 2 watch party. Yeah, it was an absolute was blast. The $25 tier gets you a custom episode. You pick a topic, we do it for you, plus some other cool merch. And then $100 tier is the ultimate tier. You also get a private watch party. You get to come on the show after three months for a fun guest segment. Absurd perks in that one as well. All sorts of goodies. So thank you for everyone who is a Patreon. And you can sign up today at patreon.com slash Raiders of Lost Podcast. This episode is, of course, sponsored by our friends at movieposters.com, the number one place to get your posters online today. Be sure to use our promo code Raiders10 to get 10% off your order right now. They have a huge selection of pretty much every movie and TV show imaginable in their poster library, as well as all sorts of sizes, framing, and even backlighting for your poster needs. They got it all at a great price, super high quality prints. We have literally like 50 of these posters all over our home and studio and bedrooms. It's crazy. There's so many. Be sure to use our promo code at, at movieposters.com for all your poster needs. Now that's Raiders 10. Again, Raiders 10 at movieposters.com. And enjoy your purchases. I just ended that so enjoy awkwardly. your Enjoy your purchases. Enjoy, what does that even mean? What? Enjoy your purchases. <laughs> what a weirdo. Let's uh, go into the intermission, man. All right. Let's start with the movie <laughs> quote competition and pretend like Anthony didn't awkwardly say that. And they dropped us. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Guess what movie this is from, Anthony. It is the small things, everyday deeds of ordinary folk that keeps the darkness at bay. Say it again. It is the small things, everyday deeds of ordinary folk that keeps the darkness at bay. I can do it more like the character. For, if you help yeah, me. give it a little impression if you it can. It is the small things, everyday deeds of ordinary folk <laughs> Helps that a lot. keeps the darkness at bay. It's Dumbledore. No. I mean, it's, it's Gandalf, I mean. Yeah. It's, um, but which one is it? Stop I'm going to go with The Hobbit. Do you know which Hobbit? <laughs> the book. <laughs> <laughs> it's from <laughs> The Hobbit and Unexpected Journey, the okay. first one. Yeah, that's right. That the, first one. <laughs> <laughs> the book. <laughs> I read it in, in a, a book. book. <laughs> <laughs> that was a pretty good Gandalf. Not bad. I knew, I knew immediately once you started. <laughs> that's why I wanted to wait. Yeah. See if you can do it with It you. was a hard quote without the impression. Yeah, I was like, it's definitely, I don't remember that in Lord of the Rings. Yeah, definitely not. All right, I'm going to do an impression. I'll try Southern for this. <clears throat> well, let me get some water. Yeah, get some water in there, Anthony. <laughs> Clear the throat. Let me lubricate it. <laughs> I know white trash piece of shit. I'm better than you all. I can outlearn you. I can outread you. I can outthink you. And I can outphilosophize you. And I'm going to outlast you. You think a couple whacks in my guts is going to get me down? going to take a hell of a lot more than that. Counselor. Counselor. Could you be there? Could you be there? <laughs> ba, 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 ba. Ba, 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 ba. This is Cape Fear 
Nice. Bobby De Niro. I read uh, that for fun. De Niro, Max, right? That's his name. Max Katie. Yeah. I read that Scorsese, it, it, the uh, accent and Katie voice um, scared Scorsese and like irked him. And so De Niro apparently would leave him voicemails at home in the Katie voice. <laughs> <laughs> that movie's so goddamn it's good. great, man. All right. Guess this movie release year. The Lovely Bones. Well, so speaking of Peter Jackson, he did this before The Hobbit. He did it after Lord of the Rings. 2000. Oh. <laughs> I almost said it. I know it's, yeah, I know. You almost got it out of me. <laughs> I was like, oh, let me, let me let him know what year it came out. You know, Stanley Tucci's in it. <laughs> Mark Wahlberg was almost cast in it. He was cast. Oh, wait, he was. Who was, who was almost cast? I can't remember. Uh, he, Mark Wahlberg replaced Ryan Gosling. That's what it was, yeah. Because Ryan Gosling, um, it didn't work out like last, last minute. So then he, that's why Wahlberg's in it. Um, I'm going to say. 2009. Yeah? Yes! You got it. <laughs> you nailed it. Nice. Guess this movie release year. A Bronx Tale. Hmm. 1990. 80 or 90? This has got to be 90. 1993. Yeah! Nailed nice. it. Nice. <laughs> you both got it. Nice. High five High in the five. air. <laughs> All right. Movie pop quiz time. Where was Timothy Chalamet born? Where was he born? Um, he's American, yeah. Um, can I just say the state? Anywhere, yeah. yeah anywhere. I'm going to go with... Hold on. What's, where is he born? He's not an East Coaster, I don't think. Is he Midwesterner? Or is he a West Coaster? <laughs> or a Northwesterner? <laughs> or is he Southwest region? <laughs> Damn. Um, I'm going to go with... I'm going to New York. New York City. Yes. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Fuck yeah. His father's from France. Yeah, that's why yeah. he yeah, he's fluent in French. Yeah. Um, that was a good one. Too bad it didn't stump me. <laughs> I thought you were gonna say like like Tallahassee, Florida. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. Who directed The Patriot? Who did direct The Patriot? Was it Mel? Um. Is it Mel Gibson? No. Um, <laughs> that's such a long buzzer. <laughs> I took it in. <laughs> the failure. <laughs> uh, I honestly don't know. Roland Emmerich. Oh, no way. Yeah, he, he directed The Patriot. No way. Yeah. Believe it or not, man. <laughs> Ripley's Believe It or Not. <laughs> Remember that? The show was great. <laughs> Isn't that the... It's a, there's a museum in the Hollywood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah there's a museum here. Yeah. In uh, Hollywood Boulevard. Mm, that's right, that's right. Any uh, haters this week, Anthony? Yeah, we got any, some Raider uh, haters. Raider haters. We got some Raider <laughs> haters. <laughs> Jazzy, Jazzy Jeff wrote in, uh, you posted the Mission Impossible 7 posters. Not enough floating heads. Unsubscribed. <laughs> <laughs> and then... Uh, it was who who posted this? 
I think it was Joe posted on TikTok uh, his top 10 horror movies of the 2000s. And I wrote, Invisible Man is number one for me. And Whatever Man wrote, unsubscribed. <laughs> so I wrote, how dare you? It's an excellent film. It really is. And then Evan Smith, <laughs> who's the meme master, uh, in our Spider-Man Movies from Memory episode wrote, advertising your podcast on your podcast? Unsubscribed! <laughs> he sent such a good meme today. Yeah, he made a great meme of us. And then Joshua Rain wrote, in our Movies from Memory, still waiting for Two Towers and Return of the King Movies from Memory, or is your memory so bad you forgot how epic the first episode was? Unsubscribed! <laughs> yeah, we should revisit them for sure. <laughs> movies from Memory are so fun. Uh... Jacob wrote, Spider-Man 2 over into or across the Spider-Verse. You're insane! Unsubscribed. <laughs> yeah, he unsubscribed on my letterbox review of Spider-Man 2. Because all my review was the best Spider-Man movie. Uh, Maverick9898 wrote in our Brian Cranston clip, It's not tequila, guys. It's Mezcal. Unsubscribed! <laughs> this tequila brand. It's, actually, it's a Mezcal brand. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, the Dos Hombres? Yeah. I've had it before, actually. It's it's, it's fine. It's mezcal. No, I mean, I love mezcal, but you know how like all the actors and their booze, like I guess Clooney's uh, Casamigos is supposed to be like not that great of tequila, but it's $90 a bottle. It's $90 a bottle? Yeah, in a store too, yeah, like at a grocery store. That's how you become a billionaire, bro. Get that, get that tequila money. That money. That liquor money. Man. $90 a bottle. Holy shit. Last I checked, it was like eighty five ninety. yeah. Oh, my God. What else you got? Anything? That's it for unsubscribers. Right, cool. I have a great five-star review written on Apple Podcasts from Ravy Crockett. Goated film podcast, two distinguished gentlemen distributing first-class film and TV content. James and Anthony do an incredible job covering all aspects of film, from critical analysis to filmmaking process to industry trends and more. These guys are true film lovers and do a great job of informing their listeners without being pretentious. They have built an incredible community around the show, keeping their fans engaged through Discord chats, watch parties, custom episodes, and more. Sounds like Wavy Crockett is a patron. We appreciate oh, your support yeah. so much, and we really appreciate the five-star review, the written ones especially. Five-star reviews really help us get seen by new people on the platforms for Spotify and Apple. We are at 1,700 on on Apple, I'd love to hit 2,000 by the end of the year. So That'd be sick. You don't have to leave a written review, but if and you, all you need is an email address to sign up for iTunes if you don't mm-hmm. listen to iTunes, just to leave that review. But, mm-hmm. man, if you're listening on Apple right now, hit that five-star button. It really helps the show immensely. Thank and you so on, much. Yeah, and on Spotify, too. Yeah, absolutely. The five-star rating. Oh, yeah, five-star rating. Yeah. Thanks so much, Wavy Crockett. All right, my streaming recommendation for this episode is going to be a film on Netflix that just got added in June 2023, Inside Man, Spike Lee's. Nice. Awesome heist movie. Nice, nice. Mine's on uh, Max, the one to watch. <laughs> the place to watch. The place to watch. Um, the one to watch for Lady Snowblood was just added to Max. Lady Snowblood is an amazing Japanese samurai revenge film. You just watched it recently. If you like Kill Bill. So, yeah, it's, it's Quentin Tarantino, it was the main inspiration for Kill Bill. Um, it's really visually stunning and incredible gore and action and a really awesome story, but it's so amazing. I mean, I love that movie, but now it's on max. If you like Kill Bill, it's fucking unbelievable. You gotta check it out. On max, Lady Snowblood. Give it a watch. All right, let's get it. It's the one to watch for Lady Snowblood. Snowblood. 
It's really sensational. I recommend it. Let's get back into Lady Bird. And before we get too much into plot and stuff, I want to bring up the soundtrack for this film, which is absolutely excellent in addition to the original score, which is terrific. But, I mean, we have music from the 2000s that really make you feel like you're there, like the Dave Matthews uh, band song, Crash Into Me, which is Crash played twice in the film. Me. You couldn't turn the radio on for a 10-minute oh drive God. without hearing that pop up somewhere. I fucking hate this Every song. time you go to the... <laughs> <laughs> That's an important moment for Lady Bird. Yeah. Because she loves that song. And so playing that a few times, we have Bone Thugs and Harmony in there. Uh, Hyams in there, Alanis Morissette, so many great tracks to like give you the feel of the 2000s and the early 21st century just to set the tone and mood. I mean, these were this is the music where MTV was so popular and you would watch music videos on MTV. This is, you know, we didn't have YouTube for watching music videos and you would wait to watch it on television. <laughs> I sound so old now, but then MTV would also do their top 10 countdown remember yeah and then you you would hope that like your favorite band would be number one for music video of the week and uh, it would be like oh, i hope green day gets number one. Oh yes american idiot got it or whatever <laughs> and it was it was always very fun and it would they would stretch that was like an hour-long program sometimes the top you, 10 and then before going to school you would watch mtv yeah music videos because they would do a music video and then commercials then a music video and then commercials they would stretch <laughs> it out I saw a great meme the other day of like a kid in clearly like a 2000s bedroom mm-hmm. and he's got like a little tube tv like we had those big bulky things and on the on the screen it's just like a little john music video it's like <laughs> it's like it's like 6 30 a.m before you're heading to school watching the latest music videos on mtv it's just like little john like a crunks crunk rap song it's just hysterical oh like we're God. all doing that shit and um, the original score is done by John Bryan. I think he came up with some really terrific themes for the film and Lady Bird specifically. But she ended up going with Alexander Desplat for the rest of her career, though. Yeah. <laughs> she's going, she's stuck, she's I sticking mean, with Desplat. He's one of the best of all time. I yeah. mean, why not? I mean, you could, if you could choose anyone, like, why not Alexander Desplat? So he did Little Women, and then he's also doing Barbie. Yeah, in the production design and wardrobe, it's just stellar because it just, this movie is a time machine, especially if you grew up back then in the 2000s, you will feel right at home with this movie, whether it's the wardrobe, the necklaces, like Danny wears that like white rock necklace that you get on the, like the Bahamas yeah. or some like exotic or, or, or Florida or like a beach town you go for to like, vacation. Yeah, you go to like yeah. Disneyland, a boardwalk. Yeah, it's like the, the two dollar necklace on yeah. the street. Um, the bracelets, the the pink cast with with "fuck you, mom" written on it, which is hysterical. I think also just the outfits for, for Catholic school, Catholic high school. Pretty much the same wardrobe we had, just polos and slacks. Although the, we didn't have hoodies. Yeah, they did. No, we had sweaters, but not hoodies. Yeah, I had hoodies. Yeah, yeah, we did. Oh, yeah, we did have hoodies. Yeah. <laughs> Never mind. Yeah, we had everything except yeah. for we were the first year. Our class was when they got rid of skirts for girls. So girls got away with, like, yoga pants the whole time. But basically, yeah, it's the yeah, same yeah, wardrobe yeah, yeah. we wore. Yeah. Uh, that was so realistic. The production design in terms of what Lady Bird's room looked like and what kids would have on their walls. Probably similar to today, but still, I think, on a different level because so many things that kids do are so digital now. Um, little details about growing up in, in teenage life, like writing your crush's name somewhere, whether it's on a book or Lady Bird writes it on her wall above her head. Getting high is a great sequence, like the first time you get high with your friends and just watching the mar- microwave was really funny. Like you brought up earlier, fighting with your parents, and then the next second you're like in a normal conversation with them. College submissions, that's a huge part of high school. Once you're in your like junior year, senior year, you're really trying to figure out to get into school, what schools you can get into, trying to fit in with the cool kids, prom, the homecoming dance as well, 
your first kiss, loss of virginity. Turning 18 is a huge deal, and I love the way Lady Bird celebrates where she goes, gets a pack of cigarettes, gets a nudie magazine, and also a scratcher, and smoking the cigarettes or smoking like the cloves like she does in the film. And also, the little things about high school, the friendships, the cliques, but most importantly, the silly things that high schoolers think are cool, like the deuce. Lady Bird doesn't know what the deuce is. She thinks it's like a club or, or something, like a cafe. No idea what it is. Then she finally gets there. She's like, the deuce is just a parking lot. An empty parking lot. So we lot? left a parking lot to hang out in a different parking lot. That's all like you do in high school. That's like, the, yeah. I mean, you kids, hang out in yeah, parking lots. Kids hang out in parking There's lots. nothing else to do. Yeah. So it's it's so realistic. It's so funny. I just love that part of the film. Yeah. All I, these little details. And I do really relate to Lady Bird because when I was in high school, I, I was, uh, there was definitely a point. There was a period of time where i was desperate to to be a cool kid and i was desperate to like fit i remember in. that i remember that was, yeah. I, I would like look at the cool kids in the parking lot from afar and want to be hanging out with them and be why one not of them. me <laughs> why not me <laughs> <laughs> and so i when i watched this movie for the first time i was like wow that was i feel like i was very much like ladybird in some aspects and and that's a problem that a lot of kids deal with where they are tr- having trouble trying to fit in. They want to be accepted by certain people. Um, they put a lot of pressure on themselves to change their behavior to to be accepted by them. And then also, um, w- romantically, young people, we tend to mirror the people we have a crush on. We'll try to form the same interests as them or we'll try to court them by making them think that we like things that they like. And so you see this happen multiple times in um, my favorite aspect is when she sees Kyle outside the cafe and he's reading Howard Zinn's The People's History of the United States. The next time we see her, she's in, they're in church and she's reading A People's History of the United <laughs> States, um, wanting to get his attention to make it seem like she likes things that he likes. And that's why, you know, she likes, she pretends that, you know, she's been smoking cloves since she was younger. She, she lies. She didn't even know that you can't inhale them because it's kind of like a cigar, I believe. I've never smoked a clove, but that's my guess. It's not something you should inhale. Um, and But then she says, well, it's it's what I first started smoking when I was younger. And it's like <laughs> you literally just started smoking like last week. So um, people, um, especially at that age, they'll mirror the person's behaviors with whom they have a crush on. That's really accurate with Danny as well. She like yeah. really is into musical theater, and you can assume that she's so energetic about it because – because Danny's really into it as well, and Danny's like the lead of the play. She has a crush on Danny. She doesn't get the lead part, but she does have a relationship with Danny. So mirroring the other person's qualities, absolutely. Not just Lady Bird, but also Miguel and Shelley. And I believe, is it Lady Bird who says the joke or Julie says Julie the joke? Julie says it, yeah. Where basically they're turning, uh, Miguel and Shelley are turning into the same person. They look alike. They work at the same place. They both have like the same piercings and everything. Yeah. So it, that is a, a definite, definite fact of when you're young trying to kind of personality mirror the person you're really into as opposed to when you grow up and you realize you know what makes you different sets you apart from other people and that's what might attract you to yeah, someone exactly to you, you know? that's that's what other people find appealing like oh their uniqueness and um their confidence in themselves which nobody has when they're a teen even like even if they act like it and what i really like about this film because <clears throat> in teen movies i always thought that and i was i mean as speaking of someone who was never ever even thought of as being cool <laughs> as a teenager <laughs> and even not even being close to being a popular hey, man, kid. Don't, come on, man. <laughs> don't be destroying your entire life right now. Like you're, you're a cool guy. Now I am. Um, <laughs> I think, I think, 
Um, but I always felt that popular kids got a bad rap in movies, uh, in teen movies, because popular kids are always portrayed as they're always assholes. They're always like mean. They're always kind of just like the the bad kid, the bad kids. Whereas when you look back, you realize the popular kids were popular because they were the most fun to be around. They were the most confident in themselves and. Um, I mean, obviously there could be like bullies or like jocks or whatever, but like there were people who were like more sociable and had better social dynamic skills than any, than the other kids. You know what I mean? It's not so much like we're, we're assholes and that's why we're popular, but I feel like movies always portrayed popular kids as in negative ways. You know what I mean? Yes and no, because there is an aspect to being a popular kid that involves social exclusion of other people. You know, you're excluding other people purposely. If you know, other people want to be in your club and you know, you're a VIP. (laughs) There is a VIP. There's a a red rope (laughs) and you're not letting other people in that red rope that will kind of take down your rep. It's all social rep and social hierarchy. So there's an aspect where, yeah, they're normal people, but also you're excluding other people on purpose. But that's not how the world works. Yeah. It's not like everybody's friends with everybody. And what's ha- what happens in school is you put 500 kids together in a building. It's not like everybody's going to be friends. But I would, I'm would i just saying that like people who are popular gravitate to each other. And it's more so that, like yes, they're excluding other people because like they're not fun to be around. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> and I feel like they maybe matured socially more so than other kids who aren't popular, who are having trouble fitting in. Um, they're not interesting to be around or, you know, aren't very good at forming bonds and friendships because I think I'm, I'm don't you, don't you think popular kids all generally for the most part get a bad rap? Well, in, in movies, movies, yeah, but I think that you're still trying to get in with the popular kids. <laughs> you guys like me, right? You're, you're <laughs> no, like, no. you're like giving them a lot of excuses no, no, and leeway no, here. No, because no, because popular <laughs> Anthony's kids. still trying to be cool. <laughs> I'm saying like they're always like the assholes. They're all they're no, always I know, I know. bullies. I know, I know. There are plenty of popular kids that are just generally awesome really, people. really nice people. Yeah. yeah, and that's what makes them popular. That's what makes a lot of them popular, just because they're cool people. They're awesome people. There you know are what I mean? there are popular kids in every high school that are still nice to everyone else. Absolutely, they're just in the popular cliques. That's and I'm saying you never really saw that in the teen movies we saw growing up. Oh, absolutely not. Where, and then I like how Greta Gerwig portrayed the popular kids in this school because I know Jenna is probably materialistic and she she does she isn't like an asshole, but she's not like the nicest person in the world. But then, you know, she actually says something pretty wise to Lady Bird because Lady Bird lies to her about where she lives. And she's like, I don't understand why you would lie to me about that. And she, and she says, I hate dishonesty. That's actually a pretty mature thing to say that... And it's it was pretty shitty for Lady Bird to lie to her. Although, obviously, Jenna really never was like, I, I I guess never really liked Lady Bird for who she was because Lady Bird was lying about who she was. I yeah I I think that Jenna and Kyle and the others I don't think that they're very nice to Lady Bird at all. I don't even think Jenna's nice to Lady Bird. She only hangs out with Lady Bird because she thinks that because Lady Bird and Kyle are dating, really. Yeah. The connection with Kyle is how Lady Bird gets Jenna to be friends with her. That, like, gets and her then, yeah. How do you know Kyle? Yeah, yeah, but then even that scene where she's yeah. like, I hate dishonesty, and J- Lady Bird says, but are we still friends? And she says, well, you're dating Kyle, so I'll see you around. So yeah. they're not really friends. It's just like, I think Jenna and Kyle and everyone else that's popular in this film are very shallow people. Kyle especially is just a hilariously shallow and yeah. douchebag ca- character, Kyle Schiebel. And The People's History of the United States by Howard Zinn, reading that. I think everyone who's read that book, at, at that stage in your life, when you re- are reading that book, you hate the world. You're you hate nihilist. everything. Yeah. yeah, so he's the ultimate nihilist. He's, he, like, saying Jenna's hella tight is such a, like, a San Francisco <laughs> thing to say. He's 
super anti-establishment. He's trying to live by bartering. (laughs) (laughs) He's also trying to make his dad happy, which is nice. You know, his dad has cancer. He's wildly pretentious to the point of being hysterical. He says he hasn't lied in two years. He takes advantage of Lady Bird. You know, she, she says, I've never had sex before. And he says, yeah, me neither. And they don't have sex that first time, but they eventually do have sex. And Lady Bird is really betrayed, feels betrayed because she thinks that they deflowered each other. So she thinks, you know, Kyle in a way took, a special moment, took advantage yeah. of her to an extent. So I don't think the the popular people, they're portrayed as ordinary to an extent, but also they're not very good people in this film for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I would say so. Well, yeah. I would say about half of the popular people in the average high school are, are not yeah, yeah. completely great people. Some of them can be dicks absolutely and they will exclude you and it is very much about who you're friends with what can i get out of you in terms of my social reputation around the school my social hierarchy what would if how would that affect me if i hung out with you and will you benefit me will you bring me down in terms of how other perceive me i think that goes into popularity for sure yeah in this in the sex scene i think is it's really incredible it's one of the best scenes of the film because it's something that for lady bird has, she's been building up to this and she thinks she's like got the dream guy you know and it's supposed to be this incredible moment and it lasts literally seconds and I love how Kyle just like opens his arms like Jesus when, he, when he's, he's orgasm he doesn't even touch her he's just like <sighs> so what's happening is it's all about him he's making about himself um, she's like who the fuck is on top for their first time <laughs> And it's it's really sad because he thinks it's such a not a big deal. You know what I mean? And he's not understanding the perspective of her where this was supposed to be a big moment for her, but for him he's like you're like the seventh girl I've slept with. And he's like doesn't even he's like yeah, I've probably slept with like six people. And you don't even know how many? <laughs> I don't keep a list. Why not? We're in high school. <laughs> so funny. But he um for him it was kind of just like a transactional thing. It was just it was just a thing. Whereas for her, it was such an important important moment for her, and that's something that's really striking for Lady Bird. Where this meant nothing to him at all. Literally meant nothing to him. He just goes back to writing in his notebook afterwards. You know what I mean? Um, and it shows that there's really no true connection. Uh, there's no emotional connection between them at all. And Lady Bird, this is one of the first instances where she's realizing that. I'm spending time with the wrong people. This is not someone that I should be sharing my time with. Yeah, and the Dave Matthews Band song in the car on the way to prom is the ultimate turning point for her to be like, I need to go back to Julie. Also, Kyle just honking that he's outside. You're not really going to get in a car with a guy who honks, are you? Yes, I think I am. am. (laughs) (laughs) But Lady Bird, like most young people, has bad luck when it comes to love. And, you know, it, it's never perfect. And the movies always make it seem like a, an incredible love and romance and a fairy tale. But oftentimes, you know, when you're young and in love or young love seldom lasts long at all. And we make mistakes. And, you know, her first boyfriend, Danny, is a sweet guy. And they get along and they love each other. They, they name the star Bruce after their love. And it's very sweet. But Lady Bird catches him making out with a guy in the boys' bathroom when her and Julie go in there because the girls' line is too long. And, you know, this movie has a really powerful basically coming out scene for Danny to Lady Bird. You know, Lady Bird's pissed and irate at Danny for obviously cheating on him and then, you know, finding out that he's gay as well while they're in a relationship. And, you know, Danny breaks down. It's really emotional. And 
and she comforts him and shows you Lady Bird does have incredible qualities as a friend and as a person, despite all of her flaws as a character. And consoling Danny is a really powerful moment in the scene, in the movie, and for her as well. And you know, Danny's terrified because he can confess to her, but he's terrified of how to tell his mother, and that's what he's scared about. Uh, Lucas Hedges is a very good actor too. Yeah. He was also in Manchester by the Sea. He's oh, made a couple awesome. of Wes Anderson movies. He's a very, very good actor. Um, also, but I would say Danny's actually struggling with the same problems that Lady Bird is in terms of her family's ex- his family's expectations for him, mm-hmm. because in a way, his motivation for dating a girl and for dating Lady Bird is for appearances, most notably for his family. You know, when she when he picks her up. For Thanksgiving, he's like, oh, my grandmother's going to love that dress. Um, and then he says that. And then he's worried about how he's going to tell his family um, after the fact. And so I think that Danny is trying to date a girl to try and make his family happy. Um, you know what I mean? In the way. And, and so he's kind of overwhelmed by the expectations that his family's putting on to him, just like Lady Bird's overwhelmed by the expectations that Marion's putting on to her. So they actually have a lot in common in terms of their family dynamics and conflicts. Yeah, on the surface, this movie, it seems like a simple coming-of-age film, like a teen dramedy, but there's so many layers to the script that we've been talking about. And again, the depression, I think, is is one that I want to bring up again, that you know, showing it with, with the priest who goes to see Lady Bird's mother, Marion, who's not a psychiatrist, but she is a nurse, she's a health professional, and he's a- afraid to talk to anybody else. He wants to probably, you can assume... Talk to somebody he knows, but outside of the church, outside of the diocese, and outside of the parish, who he can trust with this confidential information. And she even says to him, "But don't you have a do you have a support system? Is there anyone you can talk to?" And he says, "No." But it's never said explicitly that he has depression. But this is an obvious hint that he's going through this. And also, Lady Bird's father, he's out of work. He is trying to find a job, which is also adding so much pressure to the family, specifically for Marion, because now she has to work extra. She's pulling doubles constantly. He's trying to find a job. He's, you know, a really smart guy, and he's got degrees, but he's older, and no, none of these young companies, these startups, these software programming companies, even though he's gone back to get his degrees, you can tell by that job interview, they don't want to hire somebody his age. They're trying to hire young people. And I think that's a, a really interesting uh, comparison that Greta makes in the script and with the movie with job interviews, college applications, youth versus aging, growing up, how we're kind of always stuck in the struggle of different phases of our life that are definitely connected, whether it's you're interviewing for for colleges or interviewing for a new job. And she says, is dad depressed to Marion in the film? And she's like, You're, why would you say that? And she's like, oh, well, there's a lot of pill bottles and they all have dad's names on it. And she said, well, your dad is out of a job and he's, you know, basically we're basically we're insecure he's about the money. He's been struggling with depression he's, for years. Yeah, for, so, so it's so been it for years. hiding it from the family for a while. And so I think this is a great little thing that she's putting in the movie to operate on so many different levels of thematic elements in the script that on the surface, again, it just looks like a teen dramedy, but... There's so much going on underneath just the top layer of this film. Yeah, I mean, all these supporting characters, they have their own storylines and their own their own plots, which are weaved through Lady Bird's plot really well. And another aspect to Danny's is uh, I like how Greta, she actually hinted at um, him being gay a couple of times um, before the reveal. 
It was first there was that when he brought her the hair curlers, she brought him the hair curlers, and he said they look like sperm. <laughs> I feel like that's a little hint. And then like that's where his mind went when he saw them. And then also when they're stargazing, and she's like, you know, you can touch my boobs if you want. And he says, I don't, I'll, I'm not gonna touch them because I respect you too much. He clearly doesn't want to, and but he feels like he should, but he's not comfortable with it. You know what I mean? And he's putting himself into situations that aren't truly authentic to him and where he really wants to be. And so he's trying to be something that he's not. Um, and that's something that a lot of kids struggle with, trying to be something that they're not. And that's something that Lady Bird struggles with, trying to be popular even though she's not, trying to be an asshole even though she's not. And, and Lady Bird, she makes all these leaps of progress that you think are going to get her on the right path, but then she just takes even more steps backwards. And I think like one of the big moments of the film is when she gets suspended during the assembly that they have about the abortion where she basically tells that that woman her story basically and just like berates her gets suspended and this is while she's like you know I I got to try to get into these good schools there's no way I can get into these terrific schools in New York City but she's kind of self-destructive in so many different ways and is her own obstacle and puts speed bumps in front of herself to achieve things that she really wants even though she's really motivated to try to get into schools outside of outside of California, which is her main goal, and you know that's why her guidance counselor basically says, "Oh, you can't get into those schools. <laughs> I'm here to help you be realistic." Yeah. <laughs> but to get into these other schools, your grades aren't great. But what we can do is try to make you look as good as possible on paper. Hence, why she's going into drama and theater and doing these things to look good for her college applications. However, then she leaves theater to try to pursue being popular so in a way she knows what she wants but also is preventing herself from achieving things that she wants to obtain it's making bad choices we all go through that period you know that's i mean like going back to like the flawed character who makes mistakes as opposed to the perfect teen that knows everything which is just so boring and unrealistic like this is realistic people make mistakes all the time especially at this age you might want something but then you might like kind of put that in jeopardy because you make a bad choice or a bad decision. You know what I mean? Yeah. And probably the most tragic part of the film is when, you know, she has this secret thing going on with her father where she's applying to these schools to get on the wait list. Her father helps her figure out the finances all behind Marion's back secretly. And when Marion finally finds out because Danny says it out loud, accidentally doesn't know that it's a secret at the graduation dinner. Oh, fuck. Hey, did you hear about the wait list? Yeah. <laughs> the dad goes, oh, fuck. <laughs> and then Marion shuns her and Lady Bird, even though she's being shunned by her mother, gets into one of the schools that she wants to go to and she's preparing to leave and her mother still won't talk to her and she's begging her mother for forgiveness, begging her, telling her she loves her and that she's sorry for the way she is and you know, we, she goes through the process of painting her room white, which is really a, a symbolic metaphor of her growing up and like trying to go. I'm never find coming herself. back. Yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm not. Yeah, I'm wiping the slate clean. This basically. isn't my room anymore. I'm not a kid anymore. Yeah. I'm not. I don't live here anymore. I'm moving on with my life. And you know, I think the airport scene is so emotional because Marion's still shunning her and Lady Bird. Well, I'm sorry. Before that, mm -hmm. what's what's really notable in how. It pro it shows how how hard Marion is on Lady Bird over anyone else because she didn't shun her husband, you know she didn't yeah. shun him for lying. He's he's as culpable as Lady Bird is. He's he lied to Marion for months about this as well, 
kept it from her. But he, she, who she shun, she shuns Ladybird and no one else. Yeah, actually, I love the scene where Ladybird's in her room and someone knocks on the door and she says, "Come on in, Dad." And he's like, "How'd you know it was me?" And she's like, "Mom never knocks." <laughs> yeah, yeah, Mom doesn't knock. But I would say th- I think the most tragic scene in the film is when Ladybird's breaking down because Marion won't talk to her in the kitchen. Yeah, it's a great. scene. It's a short sequence, yeah. but it is a very it's emotional. very powerful. And you know, I think when the airport sequence is really tragic too, because Marion is so stubborn, and she's also so sad that her daughter's leaving. You know, so many points in the film, people tell Lady Bird that your mom's so sad because you weren't here. Your mom's so sad because you weren't at Thanksgiving. Your mom loves you so so much, and her father tells her, you know, your mom will talk to you when she's ready, but she will talk to you at some point. We see. Marion trying to write those notes, a letter to her to her daughter, and she ends up throwing them all away and crumbling them all up. Her father sneaks them in her suitcase for her to read later on, which is a, an emotional moment as well. But the airport, when Marion drops them off, and aren't you going to walk me to the gate? Oh, parking's too expensive here. I, I can't. And they don't let you go to the gate anyways. And mm. she drives away, and then she starts to break oh, down. Oh, she also got a flip phone. Yeah, she got a flip phone. <laughs> My tracking device. <laughs> And Marion starts breaking down in the car. Terrific acting here. And then just parks it in freaking red. She doesn't even care if it gets towed because she wants to hug her daughter. But she's too late. And Ladybird's already gone inside the airport, inside the terminal. Mm. And, you know, her husband consoles her. She'll be back. She'll be back. This is such an emotional sequence where they can't physically and emotionally connect with each other. And they still can't. Not even until later on, until, you know, Ladybird comes home eventually is when she'll be able to connect again. Even, you know, the letters that her father sneaks in her suitcase, the notes that she doesn't want her to tell her mother that were there, but she wanted Ladybird to, he wanted Ladybird to find them and, and read them to see how much she really cares about her. And also Ladybird leaving a voicemail. They still can't emotionally connect at the end of this film, but you know they will at some point, which I, I think why it's a really <sighs> terrific ending to leave it open and ended like that. I also like how she gets alcohol poisoning. Yeah, because it's her first night in the city. It's interesting because it's, she's always been like, "I need to leave. I need to be in the city. That's where I'll be able to flourish and be happy." And then her first night in the city, she gets so drunk that she gets alcohol poisoning. And I think it's a, it's it shows that it's not really the 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 solving equation for all of her problems that she thought it would be. You know, it's not like the, uh, I think she dreamed that like when I get into New York City, everything's going to be perfect and I'll have everything figured out. But she's still as much of a mess as she was back home, maybe more so now because she's on her own. Um, But I thought it was great for Greta to write that she actually just broke down and and got so drunk. She got brought into a hospital on her first night in the city. Yeah, and also she's going by Christine again. Yeah. She's no longer Ladybird. And after she gets drunk and wakes up, what she do? She finds something that reminds her of home. She finds the church. Yeah. And she connects with Sacramento. She connects with home. And she calls her mother and leaves that really beautiful voicemail about the connection she felt the first time she drove in Sacramento when she finally got her license in her car and how it felt, and it was her way of connecting with her mother, and really, her mother is her home. That's really what it's all about. Yeah, and then I like, um, Greta does a hard cut to black. Um, she hangs up the phone, and then Lady Bird just, like, <gasps> takes in a breath, like, <gasps> and then it cuts to black, because it's kind of just like, it's not like the everything's solved. It's not like she knows what she's going to do next, but she's going to figure it out from here because that's life. You know what I mean? It's not like happy ending movie. The the story's over. She's going to be successful and everything's going to be great. She still has a lot of work to do. 
Um, and she still has to keep moving forward and growing. So I think that cutting it with that hard cut mid-breath was really fantastic. I, I love movies that end like this because I feel like a cliche Hollywood movie or a or teen dramedy or coming-of-age film, a lot of them in the 2000s would have ended with her going home and reconciling and her mom A little montage. Kiss. Yeah, like, yeah. It, like go, I'm home, I love you. She's like, doing good in school. And this is realistic. Yeah, you know, yeah. That's one of the great parts of this movie and the script and the dialogue. It's so authentic. It's so real. It feels so genuine. And I, I think it's a really terrific ending. And there's so many other great parts of this film that I love. Again, the little attention to detail and the great humor in it. I love when, when Lady Bird realizes that she doesn't want to stay with Kyle and the other popular kids who are going to ditch prom. She's like, I really want to go to prom after Dave Matthews band comes on. And that's the song that her and Julie listened to after she caught. Sure. Danny. I mean, I don't really want to do that. Chalamet <laughs> <laughs> is such a dick in this movie. He's great. He played an asshole a couple of times in interstellar. He's an asshole too. Yeah. And well, that's like you're being an asshole to your little yeah, sister. That's still, different. Still an asshole. Yeah. yeah. He, he nailed it. And then, uh, I love when her and Julie get back together and they go to prom together and, and you know, Julie, I love the nuns watching them dance. Like, yeah. like what, what are they doing? Six inches for the Holy spirit. And I love how Julie, you know, even though she's not in a ton of the movie, she's still a complex character and nuance. And she's going through a lot too. She, she's crying when lady bird shows up for other reasons. They really need each other's support. She's also in love with the math teacher who, <laughs> who she's so sad when she finds out he's, he's, he's pregnant. His, his wife's pregnant, he's got a pregnant wife. She's like, Oh man, this sucks. And, and she also stands up for herself with lady bird and tells lady bird to her face. Like all you care about is yourself. And that's, that's all you're focused on. You don't care about me. And, I don't want to be friends with you anymore, basically, because you don't want to be friends with me. And, and and I think she's a great character standing up for herself and just staying true to who she is her the entire film. This is also like a great theater kid movie. Yeah. Like all the theater kids, probably anyone who's a theater kid probably adores this movie because it's not just the performances and the tryouts, but also the the exercises they do, the warm ups, the practice, uh, all those sessions they do. I'm sure... Like anyone who took theater in school probably sees those scenes and like, oh my god, I did that. <laughs> so I like how Greta, um, being like a lifelong actor, put that into the film because I never, I mean, you've seen movies where plays put on or kids are doing a, like getting ready for a play, but to put that little thing like the exercises in, I had never seen that in a movie before. And not every interaction with Marion and, and Lady Bird is negative because after Lady Bird breaks down in the car after losing her virginity to Kyle with her mom. Her mom says, you want to do our favorite Sunday activity? And what do they do? They go tour open houses like they're in the market to buy a house. And it's really touching. And you can assume they've done this dozens and dozens of times. And it, it makes them happy and they have fun. And it's actually a really touching scene between the two of them. It's the only scene really between them that has no negative connotations, really. No arguing yeah, that's or bickering. True. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> because Marion loves her very, very much. And, and Lady Bird knows that she loves her and she loves her mom. Mm -hmm. Also, Lady Bird gets nosebleeds like you do. I haven't had one in like a Yeah, you have. It's month. been a while. It's been a while. You, ha you got a ton over the winter. It's been a while. It's been a while. I think it's just the, the cool weather. Just, yeah. The dry cold yeah. is, I think, what messes your nose up. For sure. Your sinus up. For sure, man. But, I mean, yeah, I mean, we went to Catholic school and, you know, what was it, like, once every two weeks we had to go to church with everyone? Because once a month. Because the church was, like, connected to the school. Yeah, and, it was just once a month. Yeah, but I, remember, I just remember seeing this movie being like, I man, I lived this, you know? It's one of the most nostalgic movies for me in terms of a movie that I relate to, you know? 
I've seen so many coming of age films, but this one in terms of the time period, the kind of school she's in, I just this movie I feel so connected to every time I watch it, and I, I think that it's such a great script, so funny. I think the first three minutes of this movie is fucking hysterical. Yeah. It's so funny. Uh, come here often in the grocery <laughs> store. <laughs> he was like, "What?" <laughs> oh man, it's, it's really great. hysterical. It's math's not exactly a strong suit of yours that we know of yet. <laughs> <laughs> oh <laughs> uh, yeah it's, it's 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 such a charming movie i love it yeah all right well you got anything else on ladybird i have oh um the aspect that i love about the film i forgot to mention is um ladybird's skin um her face complexion yeah so i mean there's a reason why think about movies do you ever like think about like the Harry Potter movies or any or like most coming of age movies? Do teens ever have acne? Never. No, they don't. They don't even unless have, it's a character that's supposed to have. Yeah, it. yeah. Or they don't even have covered up acne because what they, they Hollywood's been doing for actually a very long time is they've been basically uh, visual uh, digitally uh, taking away acne off actors' faces. They've and, been doing that for a long time and casting actors that don't have acne. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, but even if you look at behind the scenes photos of actors like play acting in movies like on set photos that you can see you know the bad complexion of being a teenager but then in movies they always have perfect skin they're literally digitally cleaning up their faces they they've been doing it for all like the 2000s basically um but what i really found so refreshing was that lady bird she has bad complexion she has an acne breakout um Saoirse ronan had an acne breakout before making the film and they decided to not do to not cover it up, to not alter it, to not smooth it out, but to show it. And you know, when you see Saoirse Ronan's face and she's got, she's got acne, you're like, it's a real person. You know what I mean? Everybody deals with it. Everybody, especially at that age, everybody goes through um, instances of bad complexion, um, and it, and especially um, for girls, it adds so much. Um, it's difficult, especially if they get bad breakouts with their confidence, with their. Um, how they feel about themselves. So it's it's a huge part of life that I think hardly ever gets shown in movies or TV shows. Yeah, and eighth grade does a great job of showing yeah, that too. Yeah, eighth grade's fantastic about it. Um, because I was always insecure about acne as well. Yeah, man. everybody is. And so I think it was just, it adds to the, um, the, to the relatability of the film. Just seeing Saoirse Ronan, who's a movie star, having bad complexion in a movie. She broke out because she was, before the movie, she was in a theater production for a couple months and the combination of all the makeup she had to wear as well as all the hut lights caused her skin to break out. I, I imagine so, yeah. And so her and the makeup artist actually went to Greta Gerwig and were like, what do you think about making sure this makes it in the film and not trying to cover it up with makeup or anything? And Greta Gerwig's like, I love it, let's do it. Yeah, it's something that like I when I watch the movie, I'm like, that's so great. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's real, man. It's Authenticity. Real. Authenticity. <laughs> Lady Bird's an exceptional film. Um, I, I really adore this film. 2017 was a great year of, of movies, and this is one of the best from that year for sure. Five deserved Academy Award nominations. Super excited for Greta Gerwig's next film, Barbie, coming out in July 2023 this year. Cannot wait to check that out. Saoirse Ronan, one of the most exciting actors of her age group right now. Chalamet, of course. Lucas Hedges. So... This is just a special film, and I think it's just going to be one of those movies that it just lives on forever, and it's going to be timeless, and I think it's just an excellent movie.
Greta, you change things forever. forever. <laughs> All right, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to Raiders of the Lost podcast. Be sure to leave those five-star reviews on Spotify and Apple and become a patron today at patreon.com slash Raiders of the Lost podcast. Take care, everyone. See you next time. This episode was executive produced by our chosen one patrons, Cody Moen, Andrew Hagen, Becca Keen, Benjamin Cook, Calvin Murphy Griggs, Nicholas Martin, Darian Singleton, Tyler McFly, Andrew Hagen. Our Chosen One patrons are our biggest supporters. Thank you so much. Raiders of the Lost podcast is a Mirror Image production. Sound mixing done by Jacob Kosler. Opening music by Chase Jackson.